Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century, join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Christy. Hi, Matt. Hey, Ben. Hey, hey. How's it going? Hey, it's the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Um, hey, guys, our last episode. Do you guys remember that? Our last episode? I sure do. Yeah. It was just a week ago. Just a week five, ago. Uh, five um, aspects of a uh, toxic uh, leadership culture. That one? Yeah. I think that was The one we had to breathe it. through? Uh, yeah, we breathed. Yeah. I was breathing <laughs> the whole time. Did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We've, uh, we've gotten actually quite a few emails uh, back about that podcast. A lot of people who have emailed us uh, resonating, they find that they found their own experience named in that podcast. And that, that's been super meaningful to um, see and to know that, um, you know, that kind of impact is, uh, is out there. Um, and yeah, just wanted to encourage folks to keep writing to us. I think we'll probably do some follow-up, you know, I mean, that, that level of interaction, I think, warrants maybe some follow-up episodes um, where we explore some of these things a bit further. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm thankful that they wrote in because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but there are times actually just recently, I just read something recently and I was like, oh, I, I should like send the author like a little note just saying this really meant something to me. Mm. And I didn't mm. because I was like, mm. oh, they don't, they probably have other things that they read or, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. And and yet when we receive these emails, it really does encourage us that we're able to like encourage them um, yeah. and that we're walking this yeah. journey together in a way. So thank you guys yeah. for writing in. Yeah. I, something else happened this week too. Ben, you know about this. We got a, uh, we have a little a phone number uh, on to call gravity. Oh yeah. You can leave us a you message. Leave us a voicemail. So it, so somebody yeah. was reading Having the Mind of Christ Christie, and they saw something on a page, and they called us with a question about it. <laughs> I love it. And, and so then yeah. I, got, um, I got to email her some uh, links to some more information. It was a, it was, it was a question about um, – there's a kind of a throwaway line in the middle of one of the chapters about how we get the Levitical sacrificial system wrong uh, in general – Many of us misunderstand mm-hmm. what, why it's there, what it's doing, how it works, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, why there's blood, why there's sacrifices. And then, so all the, she was like, I want to know more about this. So I sent her some links and she just emailed me back. She listened to the first link and she emailed me back. She's like, my head is spinning. I got to listen to that again. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Anyway, so we, we appreciate That's it so when cool. you reach out and communicate to us how uh, the things we're talking about, the conversations we're convening, mm-hmm. how they impact you. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. We're not, it's, it, it's not, you know, don't, don't fall, <laughs> don't fall for that thing where they're like, ah, oh, they're, they're probably busy. I mean, we are I busy. I am busy. But, um, that, that is the, yeah, it's the reason we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really helpful to, to hear. So if you've got questions, um, or if you want to reach out and, um, you know, ask us to talk about something or mentions how something impacted you, you can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Um, or you can find, I think, I think we have a phone number on our website. If you go to gravityleadership.com somewhere, <laughs> it's a Google voice number. So nobody ever answers, but you can leave us a message and we do get those messages. Or you can come so. to Colorado Springs and I'll take you out for coffee. Oh my gosh. That's right, Christy. You can always come to Colorado Springs. Christy it's will like take you thing. out for coffee. That is your thing. Actually, I'm not going to say who, but one of our guests mm. uh, messaged me this week and said, mm. I think I'm moving to Colorado Springs and let's have coffee oh, because, wow. uh, yeah. So anyway, Permanent I hope coffee it works. Day. Yes. It'd be yeah, so fun. That's really good. That's cool. All right, y'all. Well, it's, uh, it's also Holy Week. Anybody got any big plans for Holy Week? Man, can I just say I love liturgy and I love rhythm and I love Holy Week, yeah. um, mm-hmm. even though it's like this mix of emotion and activity and I don't know. Mm-hmm. So um, there is this weird anticipation um, mm-hmm. for my heart, actually, mm-hmm. uh, for this yeah. week. So, yeah, there's lots yeah. of things going on, different services and all that kind of thing for where I work. But um, but yeah. also personally and for my family, we just had a Passover Last night we had to do it early because we can't do it on Thursday. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Do you have a Monday Thursday service at your church? We don't. That's why we kind of do it as a family. Oh, so okay. uh, we have Good cool. Friday and yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? Very good. 
Yeah, we're doing um, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services. Um, we don't do an Easter vigil, um, which is some some hardcore churches do that. But um, we just we put elements of the vigil into our Sunday morning uh, Easter service, which is the best service of the year. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's incredible. Christy, um, so. Ben is actually underselling his affection for the Easter vigil. <laughs> there's a there's uh-huh. an Easter vigil shaped hole in Ben's heart, and it's not <laughs> filled Aww. yet. Oh. Not quite yet. I just, you know, <laughs> culturally speaking, it's hard to get people to come out on a Saturday night, you know, for a long two, three hour service. service. With, yeah, I mean, there's there's ways of doing it in a shorter amount of time. But I do love that we get to do some of the vigil stuff on uh, Sunday morning. It's really cool. We yeah. we start outside, we process in, we knock on the doors of the sanctuary, and it's really really fun. So we we bought last year. We bought. Uh, like 50 cowbells, these little cheapo cowbells, yeah. because w- when we process in, we want everybody to be making a ton of noise. And so the great noise. last year, yeah, the great noise. Yeah. So we hand out cowbells and mm-hmm. uh, people bring pots and pans yes. and bang them. Yes. And um, one guy last year brought his vuvuzela. So. I kid one time brought his trombone. So you never know what might come. So I oh, actually, uh, uh, we probably need to get to this interview, but I, but last, last year, uh, our worship leader wrote a song about what happened during the processional for Easter. And we sing it now yeah. because he, yeah. people had vuvuzelas. By the way, I went out and bought one after that. And now I got one. I, I tooted around the neighborhood once in a while, just so everybody knows who's in charge. <laughs> but uh, I'm bringing that big plastic. It's loud. It is loud. Yeah. A vuvuzela is loud. Yeah. Okay, um, listen, I'm so a musically illiterate. I don't even know what a, what do you call oh, it? A we should, we should talk Vuvu <laughs> with these. <laughs> It's a, a vuvuzela. vuvuzela. Yes, it is a little annoying. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you play it too long, it's pretty annoying. But it's a little plastic horn okay. uh, that was popularized in South Africa at soccer games. There's actually a fascinating history of the vuvuzela. Um, yeah. It's kind of an abolitionist instrument. It's fun. Yeah. So anyway. And well, the finishing of that story is our worship leader broke a string and played basically the entire Easter service with five strings. Uh, and so uh, then he wrote a song about praising God with uh, vuvuzelas and five-string cranky, jing, jingly jangly instruments. Five, yeah, jingly jangly instruments, five tired strings and vuvuzelas yeah. all made it into uh, the lyrics of this song. That's so, fun. That's anyway. super fun. It is. It's loads. But loads I feel of like it's a little bit appropriate that we interviewed Justin Yeah. because Holy Week? I've been reading, I didn't even tell him on this this uh, interview, but I've been reading his uh, 40 days for in the Lord's prayer um, book that he wrote. Oh. And um, cool. my family has been doing it together and it's been really great. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm. this interview that we're about to listen yeah. to um, Justin McRoberts, mm-hmm. Justin McRoberts. Yeah. We're talking about, he's written quite a few books. Um, he's done some partnerships with Scott Erickson, um, the artist Scott Erickson, what many people have heard about. But we're talking about the book Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and Rest uh, today. And yeah, I think it is appropriate uh, for Holy Week. Justin was a lot of fun. Um, I'd never heard of him. I didn't, didn't know who he was. And I think somebody just reached out and was like, hey, you should have Justin mm-hmm. on your podcast. And really, really enjoyable interview. This guy's uh, loads of fun. Yeah. And the Easter egg uh, hidden in this episode in plain sight is I make oh. two mistakes, like completely missed <laughs> Completely oh, mistyped right. his title, uh, and, and and the title of his the book. title of his like book. He, I introduced yeah. his book incorrectly, and just so you, yeah. if you ever thought maybe we so we like, curate sort of this non-professional folksy kind of no, no, it's no, no it's, real. it's real, it's real, and uh, that yeah. that even that though, I was, I was thinking like that happened like ten seconds into the interview, and we like we easily could have started over, but it's. it's you know, and time is money. And the thing is, <laughs> it's not like you didn't know about the book, though, Matt. That was the oh that's gosh. the thing is that you actually had these really great questions prepared and stuff. It was just, it was just I the just title. Just mistyped the, the title. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I guess sacred. I think you called it sacred stories. Anyway, he was very gracious in his correction uh, about the book title. But anyway, it was a great interview. Um, he's got loads of insight into work and rest. Uh, this is some, a very live issue for me, so I will probably go back through and re-listen mm-hmm. to this one. All right. So, well. any anything else? Are we good to go? Should we get into this one? Here we go, Justin McRoberts. Mm-hmm. 
Justin McRoberts joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and the kiddos. He's an author, coach, songwriter, minister, podcaster, at C Podcast, and entrepreneur, a fancy French word we're going to chat about here in a second. Today, we are chatting about his latest book, Sacred Stories, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and Rest. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, tell us about you being an entrepreneur. Are you in? Are you in business for yourself? Is that what? Uh... I am actually have been for a long time. Um, I've, I've, I guess there. I have a great uh, long conversation with myself and others about what we mean by that word. It's one of the words that like sort of gets reinvented by its own use every mm-hmm. like maybe five or six years. So, um, some by by entrepreneur. If I use the word for myself which I don't very often. I think the bio you're referencing, I think it says I coach entrepreneurs. Oh, um, okay. So I would call myself a coach. Um, but I think oftentimes when, if I'm using that word or other people are using that word, what we're really wanting to say is that I am creatively going about doing the things I'm supposed to. Um, I think yes. that's mostly what people mean when they say entrepreneur or when they talk about being entrepreneurial yeah. is I'm, I'm creatively applying myself to my responsibilities. The traditional, the actual like root definition of entrepreneur does have to do with like starting something from scratch and like functioning outside the, you know, the parameters of professional boxes, which which I've done some of that, but most of what I've done was most of what I've done professionally and still do is recognizable. Things like coaching, that's recognizable. I write books. I didn't come up with that idea. I just try to do it well. (laughs) Well, uh, I probably was a transcribing mistake. It, but it's been fortuitous because now when I creatively reinvent the way to load the dishwasher and my wife yes. gets upset with me, I can just can tell her I'm, that I'm, I'm being I'm an entrepreneurial. Exactly. I'm a, this is babe, so, I'm an entrepreneur. So I have helpful. To. So helpful I'm an for artist. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Justin, uh, tell us about um, At Sea Podcast. I know um, yeah. you've been doing that for a while and it, you talk to creatives. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so it, the I talk to folks who are working as best I can. I try to talk to folks who are working at turbulent or odd intersections of culture, like places where things are weird. So the no, the the title of the podcast at sea stems from these two places. One is the old C, the oft quote, quoted uh, C.S. Lewis notion that we'd rather. We'd rather make mud pies than uh, know what it's like to take a vacation at the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is um, Frederick Nietzsche um, in his strange little essay. Uh, this phrase, he, the poetic phrase, he says that you know the the um, everything uh, the, you know everything is at sea. Uh, the truth is at sea. Um, like everything is turbulent, but if you if you want to know the truth, you have to go there. Like mm. like everything is turbulent, but if you really want to know the truth, you have to get out into the sea. Nice. It's just beautiful little essay. Um, I try to talk to folks who are, and you would know this, who are actually doing the work. And so I like ideas people. Like ideas people are fine. Um, I really like talking to people who are actually at those weird intersections where they're doing the work and the ideas sometimes fall apart. Um, the ideas, the concepts tend to sort of not work because the work itself is nuanced. It's weird. I like to talk to folks at that point. So that was, that's, that was the beginning of that C podcast. So mm. I talked to, I talked to people who work creatively, who, who are in this, as we'll go back to the beginning, who are entrepreneurial in this sense. They are creatively applying themselves to their responsibilities. So I'll talk to pastors. I'll talk to therapists. I'll talk to traditional artists and, and musicians. I'll talk to politicians. Anyone who I see is applying themselves in an area where it's weird and hard and turbulent, and mm-hmm. I think doing it well. I want to talk to those folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a uh, needed, I think, practice to move towards turbulence to make sense of it rather than away from it or try to dominate it or control it, et cetera. So. Yeah. We could chat all about that, but yeah. uh, what interested us uh, to have you on was this new work that you've written. The book, Sacred Strides, the book. Yeah. Sacred yeah. Stories, yeah. Um, strides. Strides? Strides. What, Sacred what is strides. going on with me? Why am I, why do I keep mistranscribing things? You know things? what? It's not you. It's me. I'm throwing you off. <laughs> you it's know, this medication I'm taking. It's causing me problems with breathing. I thought no, it would wait, be nice. No, wait, that's Ben. And sneezing. And sneezing. I thought it would be nice to, to make this... Uh, podcast interview much more turbulent than it needs to be. 
That's why I'm here. This um, is what I'm. Gra- this is what I gravitate towards. Well, but it but it is a journey, right, towards belovedness and in work and rest. Yes, and we can actually talk about this. Like, it's, the, it's not the title I wanted. It's the title they chose, and I end up having to explain it a lot, which is fine because I like talking. But uh, <laughs> the original title of the book was uh, "From From Work to Rest and Back Again," which is a Tolkien reference. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is a great title. I'll be honest; it's a really great title. "From Work to Rest and Back Again: it's- The Journey to Belovedness." Mm-hmm. They really wanted to include something that was more movement oriented because of some image in the book. The book is about the rhythm and the tension between work and rest. So as opposed to choosing a pathway or an emphasis, mm. um, I, the, the notion is that, that life, uh, I discover life. I practice my life in the rhythm and the tension between work and rest, as opposed to in some sort of competition between the two of them. And so the publisher really liked the idea of this tension and rhythm and they wanted this running imagery, which I had to go back and write back into the book, which is fine. It was yes. an enjoyable process, but it's called Sacred Strides. Sacred Strides that include stories, right? Let's just be mm-hmm. clear about that. There are stories true. inside of it. Well, yes. yeah, so two things are true about everybody listening, I think. Um, the first is that we all do some kind of work, and the second yep. is we all, at some point, have to do some kind of rest. Yes. Uh, like, it's like part of, what, part of what we're created to do, and it's also part of what we can't not do. Yep. Um, so then, <laughs> I know this sounds pretty meta here, but then why do we need a book? Yes. Uh, one of many books, right? On one of many books. things that we have to do and are already doing. Like, what's our problem with work and rest? So it's the same problem we have with everything, which, I mean, this is the, the thank God for the Christian tradition and in our language is, I mean, this is, it's a way to talk about sin. Is anything that we, anything that is necessary, anything that is fundamental, anything that is, that is mostly and providentially and at root level true about us seems to be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be difficult uh, to do things well um, when they're necessary. Loving primary relationships. Like, is is there a harder relationship than a marriage relationship? No. Is there a more important relationship than a marriage relationship? No. The things mm-hmm. that are most important to us, the things that are mo- most root to who we are, tend to be the things we struggle with most. The Christian tradition calls that the problem of sin. It's not just about the bad things that we do. Sin is not just about like, well, okay, suddenly you discover you're into heroin. Okay, we, we can talk about that. But for most of us, it's not a heroin addiction. For most of us, it's the things that are our principle, the things that are primary. We really struggle to do well, to do wisely, to do consistently. And so whether it's, uh, whether it's my book or, uh, whether it's, you know, the, it's, um, Ruth Haley Barton's new book on the rhythm between uh, work and rest, which is absolutely brilliant, and everyone should read that. Um, we have to continue to return to these principles and these practices um, because all of it, uh, the living, uh, uh, the, all of it being like living as a human being, is is a practiced and embodied experience. It's not an idea. It's not a thing I get right here. It's a thing I work out. Uh, over the course of time and in my life. And so we come back to these concepts over and over again. Yeah, you use the word beloved. It sounds like your your publisher wanted you to also include that. But I'm <laughs> curious if you could talk about that a little bit. Just personally, how did your belovedness become a central part of your life and ministry? And you know, you talk about that in this book. Yeah. It's again talk about you know talk about a learned reality. Um being loved. Um my what I've come to, and that, uh, what I think of is, uh, I think I'll start where I am and then reverse it. Um, what I've come to is that my my natural posture, my natural way of being in the world, is not rest. Mm-hmm. Nor is my natural posture, my 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 natural way of being, primary way of being, um, work. My my primary mm-hmm. fundamental way of being in the world is being loved. I come to know my being lovedness in the practice of work and in the practice of rest. The book ends up being my story and I think 15 different chapters from early experiences of work and rest through till semi-adulthood now, now that I'm almost 50, um, discovering that that as much as I love work, and I do, and as much as I need rest, the principal thing I discover in both things is that I am loved and held together by the one who loves and holds together all things. That it's not about, 
It's never been about finding satisfying work just for the sake of finding satisfying work or finding work that I'm good at to make an impact. It's also not about just being well-rested so that I feel good about my life. It's about being in the flow, in connection with the one who holds all things together. That is what I call belovedness. Uh, Parker Palmer says it differently. He says that he talks about... um, He uses the phrases action and contemplation, which are rooted in the contemplative tradition, which I'm fine with. I'm trying to write front porch books rather than living room books. So on the front porch, instead of saying action and contemplation, I talk about work and rest. Mm -hmm. Palmer says that action and contemplation stem – they flow from the same root, uh, which is our our relentless desire to be fully alive. Mm -hmm. I translate that and say that in work and rest, I come to a practice of and an experience of my own belovedness. It's the same phrase. I'm just writing it for folks living on the outside of that conversation. Yeah. And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, We go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. So maybe let, let's dive into what you mean by some of these terms then. Because um, I think one of the tricky parts about work and rest is that um, we kind of think we know what that means. Right. It's yes. like, oh yeah, I, I know what it means to go to work. Yeah. And then but you know, a lot of times that equals this like striving, this anxious striving. And then, yeah. you know, oh, I know what it means to rest is to like take a break from anxious striving and just do some self indulgence, you know, like uh treat yeah. treat yourself, as uh, they said in Parks and Rec. And you know, <laughs> but that, you know, I've <laughs> I've lived seasons of my life like that, and it's like that's yeah. not that doesn't feel like a beloved journey, you know? So, you know, talk more about what you mean by work and rest. Like what, what is that, you know? Yeah. Maybe you could return to some of that, what you were talking about, you know, even in Absolutely. terms of being an entrepreneur. So, so. First thing would be, we always do it poorly. Uh, poorly is not the phrase I want to use there. We always, we never start at the end. You always start at the start. And so if work for a season, not if, Work for a season will be rooted in performance. It'll be rooted in anxiousness. Like that's where we start. Mm. And you kind of have to start there. Uh, It's a thing I tell whether it's songwriters or, you know, novelists or whatever, like you're going to write bad work. You have to. It's not just like, it's not just a thing that like ends up having to happen. No, no, no. You have to do the thing poorly in order to get through because what it means for me to do work in the world I have to learn that and I have to discover that. I don't know. Uh, I have to, I have, so I have to do it in a way that I, I, I don't feel completely right about, a way in which like we can call it wrong. I, I'm going to do that poor, or even rest. R- rest is probably even the weirdest one because like how does, how does someone rest poorly or rest in a way that doesn't work? But that's actually, like you said, it's possible to rest, to, you know, to rest in a way that doesn't actually, mm. you know, get you rest. Work particularly is, is, is usually a process of, of self-discovery and self-trust. Do I mm-hmm. – can I come to a knowledge of the way I am happiest in the world, know that that's a work that Christ has established in me, mm-hmm. that actually he wants me to pour myself out in a way that I find joyous? Yeah. That's a heck of a journey because we're convinced by most of the cultures around us, including a lot of the religious cultures around us that work is you living up to someone else's expectations and obligations Mm -hmm. and checking the box off so that you can go home and pay your bills. That's a job and that's fine. You should have a job, but work is something different. It has to do with our participation in this, the heart of Christ 
in the world and in the heart of Christ established in us. It's a learning process. Yeah. It happens in it happens in time. Same thing with rest. Like what's it look like for you and I to rest? For a lot of us, um that process of, of self-discovery is much harder because we have we make less space for it. Uh because there's more shame um and guilt associated with it. Mm-hmm. And so even the things that we come into even the times when and I'm saying we here too much, even the times when I have in my past discovered what real rest actually feels looks like i have felt like wait that can't be it it has to be something else Mm -hmm. but we can rest in ways that don't work there was this is years ago this is actually in in the book as well i was um i was on a trip to germany um and talk about the rhythm and the tension between work and rest it's an 11 hour flight from where i live in the san francisco bay area to frankfurt and i found myself a direct flight and my, my plan was by the time I got there, I needed to be fresh because I had a conference that I was supposed to be at like four hours after I landed. Mm. So I'm going to get there rested so that I can work. I plan on doing this by sleeping the entire flight. The, re, the way I'm going to sleep the entire – I'm going to stay up in the whole night the night before. So I do that. I execute my plan. I, I'm up all night. Mm-hmm. I get on the plane. Sure enough, I fall completely asleep and I wake up. As the wheels hit the ground in Frankfurt, like I nailed this plan. I'm, I'm crushing this plan. <laughs> and you can see the left turn showing up here. <laughs> I get off the plane and then my back feels gushy, kind of weird. Like I don't feel great because I've slept like this, all crooked, <laughs> all curl up on the plane. And I grab my pack. I have one of those like European packs, like, you know, we pack if you have the European trip. It's like this 50 pound pack. And I grab it and I throw it over my back. And there was this searing pain that ran from like the bottom of my spine up over my shoulder, like into my neck. And it, and that pain didn't go away for like three days. My back, I threw my back out. I was in excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Had to go see a, a chiropractor in Germany, which is a terrifying <laughs> thought. It worked out. But the idea is like, I rested. I did, did I get the sleep I thought I needed? I did it, but I did it in a way that actually caused me harm. Yeah, long term. It's yeah. not just possible; it's a regular occurrence that we rest in a way that actually causes our lives damage. Mm. Uh, vacations do this to people all the time. Yes. We go on these two week vacations. We come back. We're completely disoriented to ourselves, to yeah. our own bodies. We despise our workplaces. And if I'm leaving for two weeks, and when I come back, I don't like where I live anymore. Hmm. Uh, I think I might have caused more distortion and problems. So work mm-hmm. and rest are practices that we we learn to do. We learn ourselves in and through over the course of time. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, was talking before y'all got here, uh, Ben and Christy, I was talking to Justin about Ben and I went on a little retreat this week. And it was yeah. – it were some retreats are grand-packed with, you know, learning and meetings and breakouts. This was not. This was very much structured to, like, rest. And so, for instance, one afternoon I laid on a bench and napped for an hour and 15 minutes, like on and off. I'd, I've never done that, right? So I really gave myself over to not working, so much so that I uh, sent an email to somebody this morning that Ben had sent an email and texted me about during the retreat. And I – I I didn't check the texts, so I didn't know the work was done because I wasn't working. But I get back and I'm and I'm stacked. Like I am yeah. stacked. You know, I preach this Sunday. I've got two hundred and some unread emails. I'm in one of those situations where I I can't answer emails faster than they're coming in, so I can't even yeah. you know catch up. Would you Would you talk a little bit about like double clicking on how living in love? changes the way we work and rest it it so love yeah, love love has a different logic and shape to it so that mm-hmm. our activity and our non-activity take on a different posture would you talk a bit about that yeah i mean that's a great question and that and and i think your launching point is is brilliant because we 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 get the rest we can get the rest we need um and and then and then come back into a work world that wants to make us, like I said a second ago, feel bad for getting what we need. Yeah. And I'm going to make you pay, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to make you pay. But if you get exactly, exactly that, it's actually what it sounds like. Yeah. It's like if you're going to get away and rest, it's part of why we don't do it. 
uh, it's part of why we don't literally follow. It's a commandment. For goodness sakes, y'all, it's a commandment. Mm-hmm. It's right there before don't kill people. Um, it's actually before honor your mother, mother and father and before you don't kill people. Mm. Um, but we don't, we don't do that because of the fear of consequence. And the fear of consequence comes from not work itself, but from work cultures that have an enormous amount of control over how we see ourselves. Because the fear isn't, and I think, Matt, don't tell, you know, I'm not going to tell you what's going on in your brain, but the fear for most of us isn't, I'm, I'm, if I don't get this done, it's not going to get done well. The fear is that if I don't get this done, someone else is going to be upset with me. So someone else and their frustrations with me are actually defining my, like, actually define my work pace, my work life, my schedule. The reorientation of belovedness actually places the heart of Christ and the movement of the spirit and like and and the desire of the Father for our lives back in the center of our lives so that I'm actually feel free. Watch me say this, I actually feel free to disappoint people. It's not gonna get done. I and I, and in fact, I, I'm gonna disappoint you, I'm gonna disappoint me too, because I told you I was gonna get it done and I was wrong. I can't. Whoa. The only place I can actually make that pronouncement from a place of freedom is if I know, and this is 100% true, is if I know I am beloved. If my belovedness or my sense of place in the world is rooted in the, which I'm speaking as someone who tests an Enneagram for, I've been on stage in front of people since I was 15. If, if my sense of place in the world of belovedness is rooted in other people's approval of me and my job, um, I'll, like, I will constantly be chasing other people's stuff, and I will be malformed internally. I have to learn to disappoint other people. It's what, it's what Henry Allen called the ministry of disappointment. Well, that ministry of disappointment is entirely about my life and action stemming from my sense of my own belovedness and returning to, to my own belovedness. I, I know that I'm loved and so I can make these moves, and I know that what, if I make these moves and I miss the target, I'm still going to return to belovedness. That's where actual freedom comes from. That's so good. It actually reminds me, just yesterday I was in a cohort and we were talking about our Jewish friends that start their Shabbat at nighttime, right? And it's purposeful that it starts at night and then you wake up and the only thing that you've done is that you've rested. You have not done anything to prove your, like, hey, God, love me. You just wake up in the belovedness of God having done nothing. And there's something for me to learn in that for sure. Yeah. The book, um, my friend, uh, Lauren Winter, you guys, I don't know if you know Lauren Winter, fantastic author. She, she grew up, uh, in the Jewish tradition, had an encounter with Christ. And one of her first books, she wrote a book on relationships called Girl Meets God. Yes. And it's this really interesting sort of corollary between like dating and romance and, 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 uh, and devotion. It's actually beautiful. I think it's her second or third book called Mudhouse Sabbath. And part of what she does, Christy, is she actually bridges the gap. She talks, and it's not critical because she's actually, well, it is critical, but it's lovingly critical because she's like a deeply caring pastoral person. But part of what she gets into is like, is, is the way predominantly the, the evangelical, um, mainline Christian mind has distorted even the practice of rest and Sabbath. And that the we that you know we'll, we'll call it it's it's the Sunday practice. But mm-hmm. everyone who works in Christian professionalism works on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And and so she goes back to like why is why does it happen that the Jewish practice of Sabbath starts on Friday night and goes through Saturday night? And the the timing actually matters. It's not just it's not just that you do it, it's also when you do it. It's this yeah. wonderful entry. So if you if folks, mm-hmm. if your listeners haven't read uh, uh, Mudhouse Sabbath. Before you read my book, you got to read, now you got to read uh, Ruth Haley Barton's new book and then Lauren <laughs> Winter's book and then and then Sacred Strides when it comes out. Yes. It's a good thing I'm going on spring break next week. I got there some you books go. now. There you go. got some books to get into. Catch up. Christy, is this going to be a spring break where you come back like exhausted and strung out or is this going to be a spring break? <laughs> Well, now, now, uh, yeah, thank you. Now I've got uh-huh. some things to think about. I'm just there wondering, because I, because you know, I mean, you, Christy's got um, half of a football team of children. And, yeah. she, and so when she, when you travel, like you have, you have cars that you wouldn't own if you didn't have the number of kids you have, right? So your life <laughs> is built around how do I contain and make space for 
all these people, all these competing yeah. desires, mm-hmm. and then taking that on the road as the Penley Circus is work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And add in the Enneagram 3 that I am mm. of just like, I like to accomplish things. Yeah. I like to check things off. Yeah. Um, and like, how does that all fit in learning how to rest and learning how to Sabbath? And yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's there's places. Actually, when we've even talked about sabbaticals, um, I talked to somebody about the possibility mm. of going on sabbatical in a year or so. And, and he was suggesting you take two weeks or mm. even a month. If your sabbatical is three months, you take a month to kind of onboard onto whatever you're doing in your sabbatical, then you do your thing. Like we're mm-hmm. hopefully going to Israel for a month, go into Israel for a month, then come back and you have a whole month of like living life and then onboarding back in. And there's yeah. like a understanding the rhythm of you can't, it's not just like 100%. hold stop, you hmm. know? Well, and especially as someone who's a three, one of my, one of my favorite clients, coaching clients, and I do have favorites. It's actually true. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite coaching clients. Uh, it would be me if I was there it your is. client. But yeah. I mean, 100%. You know. <laughs> I, I, I can only vibe it. Um, she is a brilliant artist, tremendous, brilliant artist. And she's an Enneagram 3. She's doing this. She's stepping away from um, – she has multiple jobs. She's stepping away taking a sabbatical. And part of what we talked about leading into her practice of sabbatical and rest is – that sense of her sense, her sense of herself as a three means that her, like her ramping into rest and even her practice of rest is going to look really different than someone else's. Yeah. So self-knowledge plays a super important role here. As a three, she will not feel rested if she's not checking things off. So part That's of right. her thing is like, you don't turn that off. Rest does not mean a divorce mm-hmm. from all the things that make you, you. It means like a fully, like fully embracing the things that make you you. So as a three, she's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have joyful checklists. I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna make lists that I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna accomplish these things. And like, so like, I was like, like she's gonna, she's the wind sailing, and she's learned to skydive. She got these things. I said, yeah. Well, here's the deal: make lists of yeah. all these things that are, just, and then when you check them off, your soul is gonna be so happy. So like, rest ends up being not a divorce again from from who we are and how we do things. It's an embracing of who we are. Again, it's about belovedness and not mm-hmm. just about separation. That's right. Yeah. I wonder if we could um, swing back around to something um, that I was thinking about earlier. Um, I, I like the distinction you made between a job that we might have that makes us some money so that we can live and our work, which is a broader category and sometimes yeah. might not have anything directly to do with our job. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people are... Um, <laughs> frustrated, unfulfilled in their jobs. The thing Mm -hmm. that they need to do to make money um, feels a long ways away from the kind of work or vocation that you're talking about. And I wonder if you could, um, what would you tell somebody who feels that tension of like, I don't don't have any time or energy to do my work, to do some sort of like deep thing that I feel like I I can contribute to the universe and, you know, I don't, I don't feel I have, I don't have any time. I've got to, I've got to work yeah. all day at this job. I hate, um, I don't know any, any words of encouragement for folks who are in that position. Yeah. Uh, first of all, pay attention to that. Like mm. on, honor that, honor that feeling. Don't be that person who just feels that for 20 years. Um, because your soul is smarter than you. Like your soul tends to be smarter than your conscious mind about who you are. Mm. And whether it's whether it's that sense of dissatisfaction or whether it's actual depression, um, that's your soul screaming truth at you. Depression for a lot of us is onset by and triggered by and exacerbated by circumstances that we have given into over a long, long period of time that have convinced us that we cannot be who we are supposed to be. And when depression sets itself all the way in, part of sometimes part of what's going on is our soul saying, like, I, I mean, Jim Carrey says this very you know, super profoundly. And he says, like, depression is your soul saying, I can't play this character anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, so pay attention, first and foremost, to that. Like, honor that reality. And then, secondly, get some help. Because if you're stuck, then you're stuck and you can't get out by yourself. It's part of what it means to be stuck. It's part of we. It's part of why we practice our faith in community. And and you know, uh, Sarah Miles says, you know, th- there's no way to be a Christian at home by yourself. Um, we practice our faith in community. Whether it's a therapist or a coach, go tell someone as much of that story as you you know 
and then let them help you discover the rest of it so that you would hear these things and believe them to be true. Primarily one, you were created by a loving God who wants you to enjoy your life. Mm. That's actually true. Yeah. God finds no joy in you suffering just to suffer. There's no value. This is, so, this is maybe scandalous to say. There's no <laughs> fundamental value in suffering by itself. Yeah. That's just not true. Right. That's this weird nihilistic, odd thing that got creep, crept its way into religious practice. It's like there's no actual intrinsic value in suffering. Um, God created you to enjoy your life. And part of how you live best and love be- and love best and work best in the world is if you're working from a place of joy and belovedness. So, so let's get you there. Also know that you are not trapped. Um, it can seem, depending on your job, it can seem that you are trapped. I will just flat out say, and like, if, if you can prove me wrong, then awesome. Then we can work it through in a coaching session. <laughs> uh, if you feel trapped, that's because the institution, the practice, the machinery around you needs you to feel trapped because mm-hmm. it needs you to remain a cog in its wheel. Yeah. And that what the gospel wants to do is set you free from that so that you can live more fully. Even if you stay in the same place, yeah. even if you stay in the same job, you're not designed to work in that way. So- mm-hmm. First and foremost, honor that thing. Recognize that that's, that's your soul talking to you. Second, go get help so that you can discover the truth that you were made to enjoy your life. And you are not trapped by the things that want you to feel trapped because there are forces in the world that do not want you to live in joy so that you can remain a part of their machinery. That's good. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, so I was just um, chatting with a friend on the way from the gym where I was resting to uh, this interview uh, with Hugh Justin. And he is uh, somebody who went through one of our Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts. And he was in full time ministry during the cohort and discerned in the cohort that he needed to leave. And yeah. I was, I, did, I don't tell anybody this up front, but almost every cohort I've ever led, someone's had a vocational shift. Yeah. Someone has finally tended to their life, mm. dealt with the things you're talking about. And knowing that this won't get better by just pretending like it's not here. I, I need to tend to this, pay attention to this, and get my yeah, life in alignment with the grace of God. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it's a good word. Not, not, all vo- not all vocational suffering means you need to leave. But we nope. are so good at not, not living in reality, denying where we are. Because seriously, yeah. like, who needs... Who needs to go looking for a new job in this economy? You know, like no. we don't really <laughs> in this economy. We don't really need that. <laughs> True, but but and part of your point there is like you don't know. It, it may like when you honor that feeling, don't don't think that that means you know what it means. Like you don't know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't talked to yourself about this. You haven't had a conversation. So don't just because you're going to recognize it's like I I am not happy now. I don't want to be here. Right. That doesn't mean you're leaving. You don't know what that means yet. Yes. And you have to work that out on the other side of actually like actually agreeing with yourself. Like, no, no, actually we're not happy. And you, you know, you asked for the definition a second ago, Ben, this is the way I wrote in the book. I said, I said, a job is something I do that pays for food and housing and clothing so that I can do my work. Work is the active embodied expression of my love in and for the world around me. More deeply than that, work is the, is, uh, is the shape of divine love takes in and through my life. So my work is an act of love. A job is very simply a thing that provides for my life. Sometimes they're the same thing or they overlap more, Mm -hmm. but there is a massive distinction between the two and that's important. Yeah. Which actually reminds me of, somebody asked me once, like if you weren't at your job, how would your life be different? Yeah. And in a sign of like, actually having work that is life-giving and like I'm in the lane of who God created me to be and how I'm wired was I was surprised to actually answer them. I don't think my life would be very different. I would be making less money. (laughs) But that is like really when I think about the majority of like how do I spend my time and all of that kind of stuff, a lot of it would be the same because – it's super life-giving. And I know yeah. that that is a gift. Like not everybody 100%. experiences that, but that's the hope, right? That we that we are able to understand this is how God has made me and wired me and then be able to find a place of a job that actually utilizes those things. Love that. That's fin- that's mm. perfect. I love that. Yeah. Maybe um, 
I'm wondering if we can double click on something that you mentioned um, about Sabbath as an act of resistance. Um, other people have talked about this. Um, but I, I, I wonder if we, you could say a few words of it, because I, I think it is really hard for us to, to escape this notion that Sabbath and resting is some kind of indulgence and I need to earn it. And I need to, you know, I need to like, I don't know. It's like something I'm taking for me. That's, I don't know. It doesn't really have to do with anything else. And so it, it feels selfish to rest and, you know, that kind of thing. So say a bit more about how Sabbath is this act of resistance. What is it resisting? And um, I don't know, invite us a bit more into that imagination about what resting could mean. Yeah. So earlier we talked about, you know, potential ways to potentially rest that aren't great for you and, and maybe sort of indulgent forms of, of rest or indulgent ways to rest. And that that's true. I don't, I don't find that to be all that big a problem long term. I think uh, like once someone actually gets into the practice of, re- practice of rest, I tend to trust that the spirit of Jesus is going to get a hold of that person and uh, like find those strings, the threads of sincerity, and uh, and and draw them out. I mean, I started following Jesus as a young life kid, so like I showed up at young life camp or young life club because there were girls there. Like I, everyone comes in through the, <laughs> the wrong door. Um, uh, so you know. The, but the 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 indulgence narrative around rest uh, normally predominantly comes from systems around us that have a very different sense of value for our lives, and where rest as a practice is is pronounced as indulgent. Period. It has to, that comes from a narrative in which like your your use. Your value is predicated on your use. Now, no one's going to agree to that as a wholesale thing. Like, I am my productivity. No one's going to agree to that. But we oftentimes, too many of us, just flat out act that way. Um, there's a I, – I paint this image in, in the book, and I'll tell you two quick stories. There's a, There was a commercial 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, Motorola put out a phone called the, the Droid, I think it was called, the Droid 2. And in the – in the commercial, this gentleman sitting at a boardroom table in the summit giving a presentation and his phone's, his droid two is sitting on the table in front of him and it, the screen lights up because he gets a message. And he looks up and checks to make sure they know what's looking and he grabs his phone because he's supposed to be paying attention. But the phone's going to help you multitask, right? <laughs> Which it super doesn't. Uh, he cracks the phone open and, and answers this email. It's a schematic of this blueprint. He does it super fast. And as he's typing... His his arms turn mechanical. Like like he all of a sudden looks like the Terminator. He's got like the, he's got like Terminator arms. His arms are like mechanical, and his and it's typing super fast. And he puts his phone down and closes it. And no one got no one saw him do it. And he accomplishes email while he's paying attention. And at the end of the commercial, says Motorola, the Droid Two, turning you into an instrument of efficiency. And it was one of those moments where like even at that point in my life, I was like, I can't believe you just said that out loud. Mm. Like that's where like you just said you just said the quiet part out loud. Like when the when the anti gospel once in a while like yeah. slips up and shows its stupid ugly face, it says things like that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it's like turning you in into, into an instrument. Yeah. We feel guilty for rest because the machinery around us, this is so important to get, mm. wants to turn us into instruments for its own purposes. We've you know Andy Crouch's new book, third book for y'all to read if you haven't read it, it is his uh, his new book called The Life We Want. Mm-hmm. He talks he goes back into the history of the spirit of mammon. He's like we forget that this is true. That it's not just about money, but mammon wants to turn people into pieces of machinery for its own purposes. And it dominates our psychologies. So I can't rest because I've got to participate in this system of value. It's not about accomplishing the thing, it's about the system of value that I've somehow like given myself over to. Here's the real trick with this. And then I promise I'll tell you the story. The real trick with this is if you're an American citizen, you're not going to look back on American history and say slavery was a great idea. I'm so glad we did it. This is one of like the darkest parts right. of American history is the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. The exact same, it is the exact same mentality and system of value that allowed... Europeans to turn black bodies 
into pieces of their economy, that's the same system and it's the same mindset that tells you that you've got to work seven days a week. It's the same thing. And you are participating in the same spirit and the same anti-human, same anti-gospel system by denying your need for rest and watch me say it, by disobeying the commandment mm. of the Sabbath. Mm. Um, so here's the story. When I got started playing um, music years ago, I, I had a music career for a while. I signed on with a, um, with a, uh, a booking agency because I was putting all these hours in and I, I like, and I'm not, I'm not great at selling myself. <laughs> so, which is a good and bad thing, right? I'm not great at pitching me to things. So I was like, I, I know I could do that for 150 bucks. I'm like, what? So, um, <laughs> the what part was my wife. Uh, so, so I go, I, I sign up with this booking agency and they're excited because I was playing a lot of shows at the time. Like, well, they're going to make money. Now, here's the deal. They make money if I'm productive. That's the system. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. I just have to say no when it's time to say no. Right. So when I, uh, when I signed on with them, I, I said, so here, here's, here's my existing schedule. And then I had all these blacked out dates that were on these weekends. And they're like, what are these blacked out dates? There are eight of them in, like from the late August through, uh, through a lot of the fall. I said, oh, those are football games. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? I said, yeah, I go to I go to Raider games. This is when the Raiders were the Oakland Raiders were the yes, Oakland Raiders, right. and they were in Oakland. And now they're not, and they're dead to me. Um, <laughs> Spoken like a. This is actually true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would I would take my mom to Oakland Raider games. My mom has been an Oakland Raider fan since she was since 1965 when she she drove from Albuquerque to to Oakland. Um, and then when we lost my dad, which is the story in the book, when we lost my dad, like I, like I'm not going to not take my mom to Raider games. It's like what we did as a family. We didn't go to Disneyland. We didn't go to Thailand. We had Oakland Raiders season tickets. It's like I was a fan. So I blocked out these dates. I'm like, these are Sundays and Saturdays. I'm not available. And they were kind of bummed out about that. They're like, well, like that's where money comes from is playing on Saturdays and Sundays as a Christian musician. I was like, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. It was okay for two years. And then on the third year, inexplicably, the Raiders made the playoffs. No one knows how that happened, but it did. And uh, and so now it wasn't just the eight days uh, of home games. It was There were two playoff games. Mm-hmm. The trick about the playoffs is you don't know until the last month of the season. So I had so I, I wrote them. I said, I, there's a gig that we've booked that I can't do anymore. Um, they dropped me from, from mm-hmm. the roster because they're like, this, is, this doesn't work for us. Yeah. Um, and so I no longer had a booking agency. I had, it was one, it was one of the, I didn't recognize the, I mean, this is the a goofy waiting. It's like I was resisting the machinery telling me like what was valuable in my life. Not a chance in the world. I trade what my mom experienced when we show up to that playoff game and she knows that I turned down a gig to be there. Like her sense of like, you love me and you're in it with me. Like there's not a chance in the world. I trade any amount of money for that experience for my mom. So um, that's part of what it looks like for, for Sabbath to be an act of resistance is us pushing back against a system that says this is what's valuable. And that's saying like, actually, I know what's valuable mm-hmm. is me giving myself and love to my world. Mm-hmm. The, the catch to all of that is when we walked into the parking lot, there was a truck pulled in like on the other side of the parking lot and this sounded like this Metallica cover band playing these Metallica songs. So I think it's, wow, that's, that's cool. That, wow, that's really good. And it wasn't a cover band. It was actually Metallica <laughs> who had driven into the parking lot, a flatbed truck and played a, an hour long show for free uh, before this play. It was like, it was like the Lord said to me, listen, um, I know you just got dropped from, from this roster, but I want to let you know that I'm with you. So here's some Metallica. I was like a, the confirmation of my right decision making. Yeah. 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 Like, like surprise so Metallica, maybe Ben's love language. Um, it would have and been, yeah. denouncing mammon is my love language. So really that There's- answer, you, you hit us both right where I got, I got it all, you know, yeah. Yes. And it's, it's all, this is why it's rooted in our belovedness. I'm just sort of yes. like uh, cheering on uh, the message of this book uh, and w- what you're talking about here. But, but I, I, I love that, uh, Justin. I, I appreciate you rooting us again in my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we can just end with one, one final question. And, and for us, but also for our listeners, can you give maybe like what's one or two ways that we can begin to lay hold of our belovedness to, to reclaim oh, the foundational identity that we need in order to work and rest in a way that brings 
life and fullness. Um, there's this book I'm dropping. I think you should probably pick up. That's what, that would be a thing. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely. you could probably do to to help. Um, so the the long the long view of this is there's really one there's one pathway in which which is is to embrace practice as practice. In other words, um, don't don't go thinking you're going to get any any of this right. That's not. That's not what the spirit's inviting you into. The spirit is inviting you into into a sense of like into a sense of belovedness. It is a practice. So as you as you if we'll just talk specifically about the practice of rest for a second. As you decide, which in your heart, you, your heart's already decided this that you really want to practice rest. Make it a practice, and insofar as you make it a practice, have grace for yourself in getting it wrong and not feeling right about it. And as a practice, practice this the same way you practice anything in your life, which is like you cannot do this by yourself. You don't have the metrics internally to understand yourself well enough to do this. So get some other people involved with you, whether, that, again, whether that's a spiritual director, whether that's people from your church community, your pastor, whether that's uh, you know a coach, get help to help you practice your way into this. Because it doesn't happen tomorrow. It doesn't happen, you know, it's a 210-page book, for goodness sake, like it's over, then it's over like this is this takes months and years and then after you've gotten yourself into a rhythm where it seems to work you're going to change and you're going to need to learn to do it differently again and so it will always be a practice the primary thing about learning to be loved is that you are always learning to be loved in the same way that you learn to yes. love your spouse you learn to love your kids and then everyone <laughs> changes and then you learned it again you will learn yourself over and over for the rest of your life Rest and work are both practices by which we learn our belovedness. Mm. That's great, Justin. The book again, Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness and Work and Rest. I know I'm taking away something you said earlier uh, about disappointing people. Uh, Mm. You know, I think this is a good word for Ben. Every time he feels disappointed in me, he can chalk (laughs) it up to me learning to be more holy. Uh, Right? Right, Ben? Yeah, that's, that's a great word for me. Yeah, Is that the good. way that works? Yeah. Super yeah. good. That's really I'll, good. I'll be sure to let my wife know that too. Yeah. Uh, Justin, how can people connect with you if they want to, for instance, hear some of your songs or um, hear your mm. podcast? Uh, don't pay attention to the songs, uh, but uh, <laughs> just ignore that entirely. Uh, you can just, if you visit me at justinmcroberts.com, everything springboards from there. Um, great. That's the best way to go. All right. Well, this was probably a conversation long overdue appreciate you and your work uh thanks for joining us today my pleasure thank you uh the way that uh justin framed sabbath as a command right um there there is this interesting um tension i feel in me of of jesus jesus being our sabbath rest right? And Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath and Jesus saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Ben, you've quoted that uh, mm-hmm. uh, several times uh, over the last couple weeks to me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th- I think I said Lent. Man, uh, Lent was made for man, not right, man for exactly. Lent. I, I said it every time I was going to cheat on my Lent right. and fasts. Right. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, uh, I, I think... I don't want to over-spiritualize Sabbath and say that Jesus is my Sabbath rest, because I do believe that Justin's right, that when we're living in love, we must recreate. We must um, enjoy no work. Not just not work, but enjoy it, delight in it, give ourselves over to it. Right, um, yeah. and, and I think that in the past I have denied my creatureliness by over spiritualizing Sabbath. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I think so. I, this re, this reminds me. I feel like we've had this conversation before. This has come up. I can't remember where it was. Maybe on this podcast a long time ago. But I think that's right. I think there's this interesting move that we make when we think about you know, Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath or fulfilling, you know, a lot, a lot of the things that uh, the Israelites were commanded to do in the Old Testament. We're like, well, that's no, that's no longer binding because Jesus. Mm. Um, but we lose, I think, what it actually means for Jesus to fulfill something. It doesn't mean that was nonsense and, <laughs> yeah. and not valuable, right. you know. 
um, uh, it, it, it means that, uh, yeah, it, it means we have to, uh, there's a new way of perhaps living into it, but it's still true. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of those things are still true. So, yeah. I think that's it's interesting to me good. that when I Sabbath well, if that's like a thing, <laughs> um, we can verb that now. Sure. Yeah. That I, it is super life giving in this really particular way that I've noticed in my life that when I'm like really rested and not performing and not like, I don't know, thinking that it's all up to me to do something. I tend to be filled with new ideas Mm. (laughs) and, and creativity and which I'm sure can bother my boss because then I I can (laughs) come back and I'm like, what about this and this and this? But like, I actually, I see that, um, actually is life giving to me, Hmm. um, because it's a sign. It's almost like a little flag of like, oh, you've actually like not thought that this time is about you producing something that then it just kind of comes into my heart. And then I've like, Ooh, I want to talk about this and this and this, it's just Mm -hmm. the way I'm created. And and so I wonder if you guys have some, not maybe that, but something similar where you have kind of a sign or evidence that you are resting well. Yeah. Joy. Joy. Yeah. Joy. I think, I think I, I have energy. I have joy and I'm much less melancholic and morose. No matter how my life's going, I think true rest um, replenishes my joy. How about you, Ben? Yeah. 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 A joy came to mind as for me as well. Um, I think there is a, there's an ability for me to, um, I become very uh, present in the moment um, yeah. and, and filled with joy at just whatever, everything feels like a gift, you know, this relationship, um, this thing that's happening right now. And I don't, I, I end up, when I'm resting well, I end up losing uh, the looming, the looming sense of my to-do list that oftentimes is like hanging over my head. Like I got to get to the next thing. Um yeah. So I think, I think that's, I become present and I become reconnected to joy. Yep. Yeah. It's good. And the flip side of that, oh. I know we're out of time, but the flip side of that is there are signs of how, when I'm working well. And the sign for me is mm. that there's space mm. in, in like there's breathability in my, yeah. in my work. I, I can be interrupted and not get agitated. Um, that's a sign for me. So, mm. um, Anyway, yeah. maybe just for our listeners to kind of think through, like, what are signs of right. what it looks like for resting well and working well? Yeah. Because I think we all have them. Totally. I mean, I, I think joy <laughs> joy um, comes when I think I'm working well as well. That there is a there's a joy in creating rather than this anxious like I got to get this done. You know, mm-hmm. for again, I think it's I don't want to disappoint people. A lot of what, a lot of what he talked about. So yeah, it was good. You know, it, it was, it was great. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated the way that he connected it to like the way that mammon works in our world. Um, you know, the, the retreat that Matt and I were on, um, the, the leader of the retreat, uh, quoted from a book called rest is resistance, mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. And it was, um, it was a good, it was a good, uh, I don't know, good, good to meditate on why we find it difficult and, um, I, I just appreciated too. I think it was helpful for me to just realize that I can just practice it. I think sometimes we get maybe stuck in like, why is it difficult for me to rest? And then we just, we, we try to find ways to make it not difficult to rest rather than just resting, <laughs> even though it's difficult, you know, or reading right? a book on rest it's or like, something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to read its book and then I won't find it difficult. It's like, no, you'll find it difficult, but you have to do it. You actually and the great news about this is you can, you can actually do it. You can stop working. Yep. You can do that's it right. and you can do it badly and it can be anxious and frustrating, but that's the, that's the path. You have to just do it. You have to just start some kind of Or practice. just pray about it. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt, oh, we're not letting our no, listeners okay. off the hook. Right. Well, uh, no. Did you guys hear you about that uh, celebrity couple? The, did you hear about the celebrity whose partner killed them yesterday? Did you hear about this? Yeah, yeah. Reese, um... No. Oh, 
Reese, 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 Reese. I'm blanking. With her No, with her knife. Be a pretty oh brutal God. murder with a spoon. <laughs> but can you imagine with her? There you have it, folks. <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs> oh, I'm so gullible. Every stinking I, time you start, and I'm like, what? Right. Like, I, I saw it I coming, I and I was it. like, Christy, Christy doesn't realize. No. Although I was surprised that you were specific, looking for a specific celebrity. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe this is a story. Mm. But no, you're, you, you, you got us. So. You got right. us. But my work here is done. Hmm? Hmm? All right. <laughs> All Listeners, right. we will see you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.